Welcome to For What It's Worth, a podcast from Raymond James, designed to help you plan, invest, and live smarter. Hi, listeners, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lunson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find this episode and more For What It's Worth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and RaymondJames.com. Unfortunately, North American wildfires are back in the headlines. Bloomberg has cited that this is Canada's most severe wildfire season on record, with impacts already reaching across the continent and even as far as Scandinavia. It's brought back into mainstream focus the importance of reforestation efforts, as well as some recent policy elements about U.S. forestry that went into effect just this year. Here to share his insights, I'm pleased to welcome back Raymond James Managing Director and Energy Analyst, Pavel Molchanov. Pavel, thank you so much for joining me. We're glad to have you back. Thanks for having me. So this year so far, it's been Canadian fires in the limelight, but in the U.S., we are no stranger to similar events, especially out west in states like Colorado and California over recent years. How do the fires that we've seen in these past few years compare to what's occurred historically? Forest fires and wildland fires more generally are a global phenomenon. Uh, Stating the obvious, they occur where there are more forests. That's common sense. So we see a lot of this in the United States and Canada because there are massive um, forest lands in the United States and Canada. But we also see this in Brazil. We see it in Australia. I think in maybe over the last four or five years, it's probably Brazil that really stood out uh, in terms of you know headline grabbing fires in the Amazon. But it is uh, unfortunately an an international phenomenon. Is it getting worse? Yes. It does not mean that the number of fires necessarily get gets worse but the acreage burned is increasing. So every year in the United States, there are roughly 60, 70,000, you know, what the National Interagency Fire Center uh, defines as wildland fires. Uh, And that number has been pretty stable, you know, over the last 30, 40 years. But what's gotten a lot worse is the acreage burn. So uh, the the acreage burned has increased threefold since the 1980s. And what that tells us is the fires are becoming longer and more severe. So numerically, it might be the same, but they are getting worse on average. And that means there is more damage being done to the underlying lands. What do we attribute that increase in severity, the increase in burned acreage to, if the number of fires has remained relatively consistent over the last several decades? So the the short answer is climate change. And, you know, again, stating the obvious, climate change is not, you know, anything that that came out of the blue. You know, if we kind of zoom out for a moment, uh, the average temperature today is 1.2 degrees Celsius higher than it was 200 years ago 
you know, before the industrial revolution. And you hear a lot about keeping the, you know, that number from getting past two degrees. So we're already more than halfway to that two degree uh, number. And of course, it, it is getting warmer practically every year. So the fact that temperatures are hotter and the fact that there is uh, more water scarcity as a result of those temperatures means that timberlands are more dry than they used to be historically. And when you have dry forest uh, material, naturally it you know will burn more uh, more severely uh, and for a longer period of time. So these fires, even if they're not numerically you know any any greater, they are harder to fight. So think about the work that fire firefighters have to do in creating fire breaks. You know, not 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 to mention uh, aviation based uh, firefighting solutions. All of this you know, relies on Mother Nature. You know, playing at least some role in containing the damage. And if the timberland is really dry, it just becomes that much harder. Wildfires are one contributor to deforestation in general, certainly not the only contributor to deforestation. It's a word that, as you mentioned, maybe comes to mind more when the average listener thinks about developing countries. You cited the Amazon rainforest as probably an example that easily comes to mind. What are we seeing domestically overall when it comes to deforestation? Yeah, so let's define what deforestation is and maybe more importantly, what it is not. When a timber plantation harvests some trees for purposes of lumber, home construction, or furniture, uh, that is not in and of itself deforestation. Uh, why? Because a timberland is supposed to have trees that are harvested periodically, maybe 30, 50 years. The important question is, are those trees replanted? So on timber plantations, this is a renewable resource. Trees are harvested, they are replanted, and then in 50 years, they are harvested again. And this is the normal and indeed healthy cycle of forestry. So this is not deforestation because the trees are replenishing themselves. Deforestation is defined as the permanent removal of forest lands. And again, you know, Brazil is probably the, the most egregious example of deforestation in, in recent years because farmers were literally burning the Amazon rainforest to take that land away from forest and use it to, for example, you know, build a cattle ranch. And once that cattle ranch is built, those trees are gone forever. They're, they're clearly not being replanted. So that is deforestation. Uh, again, timberlands, that are responsibly harvested, that, that, that is how, how it's supposed to be. So every year, 
uh, again, in the United States, kind of on, on average, about 5 million acres of trees are uh, removed. Some of that relates to wildfires, but uh, predominantly about two thirds of those 5 million acres are uh, timberlands that are harvested, which again is part of the normal forestry cycle. So the question is not you know, why are trees being harvested? Because again, that's what they're there for. But what is the amount of trees being planted in their place? So on timber plantations, uh, responsible forestry involves replanting those trees very quickly. But obviously, in cases of wildfires, uh, replanting can be can be difficult. And even if they are replanted, guess what? Another severe fire season and those young saplings that are planted may be destroyed, you know, in just a couple of years before that tree has a chance to mature. So just to reiterate what you're saying, there there can be statistics that are cited frequently about loss of tree cover in general, but it's important to dig into how much of that is actually being replanted and coming from timber industry or responsible agriculture or whatever compared to permanent deforestation. Yeah, exactly right. So in, in the U.S., because of, you know, relatively good environmental laws on this issue, uh, deforestation in the in the textbook sense of permanent you know removal of, of uh, forest cover that's not a common occurrence it 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 has been really bad in in brazil uh, at least until the the election they had last year uh but in the us the situation is 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 relatively better uh the one way it it is getting worse is the is the wildfires because uh, by definition, they are not in anybody's control. We've talked a little bit about deforestation. Let's dig more into reforestation. And this is probably a refresher and maybe a little bit of new information for some of our listeners. Can you talk about the value of these forests uh, and, and why it's so important that reforestation efforts are taken seriously? Right. So forests are what we call a carbon sink. So going back to what we all learned in you know, maybe middle school, uh, trees absorb CO2. That makes them a carbon sink. Uh, plants of, of all kinds absorb CO2, right? But obviously trees being you know, the largest category of plants are the most important in this regard. So here's a fun fact, 12% of all the carbon emissions of the entire United States are canceled out by America's forest lands. So that's a that's a really striking statistic. You know, how much is 12%? Well, the entire electric power industry is about 25% of US carbon emissions. So Forest lands cancel out the carbon footprint of, of half of U.S. electric power. That's a really big deal. And then we, we can look globally. 
it's a similar statistic, about one-tenth of the world's CO2 emissions are absorbed by, by forests. So when there are fewer trees, because they were deliberately destroyed, as you know was the case in Brazil, or uh, not deliberately destroyed through wildfires, which again is is sadly common you know, around the world, that means the amount of carbon sink is shrinking. Now, you know, it's not shrinking, uh, you know, at a massive amount each year, but but there is a, you know, very much a, a, a negative trend. And at the same time, let's remember, carbon emissions are going up around the world. So when you hear about net zero carbon emissions, also called carbon neutrality, as a target that so many governments have put out for you know, roughly uh, 2050, it's going to be a lot more difficult to get there without forestry playing a big role in continuing to serve as a big carbon sink. That's a really interesting point, and and one I hadn't thought about when it when it comes to those global goals and how forests contribute or or um, a, a deforestation could make it harder to achieve those targets. Another aspect that you highlighted in a recent research report that I admittedly hadn't thought about before, and I think might be new to some of our readers as well, it, it's clear that of course if if those trees are gone, you've reduced that carbon sink. They're no longer there absorbing carbon dioxide. But there's also the emissions concern posed by the trees burning in these fires in and of themselves. Can you tell us more about that? Right. So when a tree captures CO2, where does it go? Where does the CO2 go? Well, it literally, you know, is stored inside the biomass of the tree itself. And when that when a tree gets burned, that CO2 is literally released, vented into the atmosphere. So it's a double whammy from a climate perspective. All of the stored CO2 inside the tree goes up into the atmosphere. And because the tree is gone, it's not going to be capturing CO2 in the future. So if this sounds like a, a vicious cycle, I hate to say it, but that's that's what it is. More climate change causes worse wildfires, and the worse wildfires are, the, the more CO2 is released, which makes climate change worse. It is a vicious cycle, and so the only way to kind of break that uh, vicious cycle uh, is to uh, plant more trees, and that's that's as simple as that. We, we we cannot control wildfires. That's just you know a reality of nature. Uh, even before climate change, there were always wildfires. Uh, but we have it in our power, you know, as a society, to maximize reforestation, planting more trees, not only for purposes of timber plantations, uh, but on you know, government lands, public lands, which you know, where the goal is not to you know, make money from that tree, 
but simply for that tree to serve as a carbon sink for decades and potentially centuries into the future. You mentioned both the government role and the private sector role in reforestation efforts. How do you see them distributed across those two sides? So in the United States, the private sector has 58% of the uh, of the forest lands. And the government, uh, or you know, all governments, have 42%, and that includes federal, which is which is 31. So it's pretty balanced in in that sense. Uh, in um, you know, in a, in a country like uh, Brazil, a lot more of the of the forest lands are uh, government controlled. Uh, so that mix is is different. Uh, the the U.S. federal government uh, manages its t- uh, its forest lands through the Department of Interior, and if you look at a map of the United States, you'll notice the Department of Interior is by far the largest landowner in the western half of the country, so west of the Mississippi. Uh, really, very little of this is is happening on the on the East Coast. So it's in places like you know Montana, the Dakotas, uh, Colorado, uh, Wyoming, where uh, uh, Interior manages these you know, massive forest lands. Some of them are national forests, not not all, uh, but they're all managed through the what's called the National Forest Service. Uh, unfortunately, you know, for whatever reason, historically, uh, the amount of reforestation or you know tree planting that was uh, funded by the Department of Interior was barely one percent. So they own thirty-one percent of the land, but they only paid for one percent of the tree planting. Well, uh, this is, you know, needless to say, not not a great situation. Uh, there is a bit of good news. The Inflation Reduction Act, which passed in um, about a year ago, uh, summer of 22, provided some funding uh, for, among other things, uh, forestry projects, some of it on federal lands, some of it grants for uh, private landowners, including farmers, to to plant more trees. You know, is it going to single handedly uh, be game changing? No, but it is a step in the right direction. I think those forestry elements of the Inflation Reduction Act probably didn't make it to to you know the top of the headlines for most investors when it when it came to that policy. Uh, you mentioned that you don't think it's game changing. Do you think it's is it meaningful that there were uh, policy implications included in that bill? It, it's meaningful because, you know, as, as I mentioned, the, the the history of, you know, U.S. federal policy is, is kind of a hands-off approach to reforestation. So 31% of, uh, of, of, of the forest lands under federal ownership but only 1% of the tree planting. You know, how much is that going to be with the Inflation Reduction Act? Well, it's definitely not going to be, get all the way to 
you know, 31%, which would be kind of kind of the logical number, you know, to, to be uh to be fair about it. You know, so maybe it will be you know four or five percent, something like that, still in the single digits, but it is an improvement on uh, recent history. You mentioned, you know, Brazil as an example where deforestation and these related concerns we've talked about are um, a, a real primary concern and and have really made headlines in a negative way. Generally, how do you think the U.S. stacks up against other countries when it comes to these issues? You mentioned forests around the world. This is not just a U.S. topic. How do you see us in comparison to to other countries internationally? Right. So uh, the organization called Global Forest Watch has statistics on tree cover loss uh, for all, all kinds of reasons country by country. And again, not surprisingly, if there are more trees, there is going to be more tree loss, all else being equal. Now, the worst uh, culprit on this metric is Russia. Uh, Russia being the world's largest country geographically, so that's not too surprising. Uh, Brazil, uh, is uh, number two, Canada is number three, the U.S. is number four. You know, these are four of the world's large, largest countries with massive, uh, you know, wild forest lands on, on a, a massive scale. Uh, there's, there's also deforestation in, uh, in uh, Africa and in Southeast Asia. Those countries are geographically not as big, so the numbers are smaller in terms of millions of acres, even though on a percentage basis, it might actually be uh, worse. Uh, I will point out that, you know, in Brazil, uh, under the former president, uh, Bolsonaro, uh, who left office about six months ago, the amount of Amazon rainforest that was literally being burned illegally by, you know, by by farmers and ranchers. In the first half of last year, it was five times the area of New York City, just to put that in perspective. Now, people who were doing that were severely breaking the law, but the at that point, the administration in Brazil was uh, not exactly enthusiastic about enforcing these uh, environmental laws. So that's changed after their uh, election at the end of last year. Uh, you know, but it certainly you know takes time for uh, the implementation of of these new rules to um, to you know come into effect. So the U.S. is you know is not great. <laughs> Uh, again, in the U.S., it's not so much people, you know, illegally, you know, deliberately burning down trees. You know, some of it is, as I said, uh, responsible forestry through uh, timber plantations. Uh, but what we're seeing right now in Canada is uh, the way wildfires are are going. Uh, it's going to be uh, very difficult to manage, even with the best intentions. We're so appreciative for your perspective on this topic, Pavel. One last question for you. What are you going to be watching when it comes to developments in this area over the year or so ahead? 
there is nothing about forestry that you know, grabs headlines in a um, political sense or in or or in the financial sense. On the other hand, when forest fires happen on the scale that you know they are now routinely occurring it certainly creates more public awareness and you know uh, there there is uh never a, a good outcome when you know people in new york and and other major cities you know have these awful orange uh skies because of the smog uh, the, uh, coming from Canadian wildfires, you know, maybe if if there is a bit of um, silver lining to it, it is the fact that it creates greater awareness. So people that perhaps have never thought about the risk of wildfires, because in New York City, you know, there, there are no local wildfires because there are no there are no local forests, uh, have have realized this is something that can affect. Um, just about anybody at any time. And you know, wildfire season used to be a couple months a year. Unfortunately, now we're seeing it start earlier and end later, not to mention having a wider geographic footprint. And so the more people are aware of this issue, you know, the more uh, perhaps um, elected officials will take it seriously and will act accordingly. Our Raymond James Managing Director and Energy Analyst, Pavel Molchanov. Pavel, thank you again for your time and for your coverage of this uh, really interesting and important topic. We appreciate your perspective. Thank you, Paige. Listeners, thank you for joining us. You can find more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and RaymondJames.com, so be sure to subscribe. For what it's worth, I'll see you next time. All opinions and information, including any price references or market forecasts, correspond to the recording date listed in this episode's description. Any performance figures noted do not include fees or charges, which would reduce an investor's returns. The information contained in this podcast is not research, nor does it constitute the provision of any investment, financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or recommendations to the listener. Raymond James and its financial advisors do not provide tax or legal advice, and you should discuss any tax or legal matters with the appropriate professional. Past performance is not an indication of future results. There is no assurance any investment strategy will be successful. Investing involves risk, and investors may incur a profit or a loss. Investment products are not deposits, not FDIC-NCUA insured, not insured by any government agency, not bank guaranteed, subject to risk and may lose value. Copyright 2020 Raymond James & Associates Inc., member New York Stock Exchange, SIPC. Copyright 2020 Raymond James Financial Services Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Raymond James & Associates, Inc. and Raymond James Financial Services, Inc. are affiliates of Raymond James Bank.